what's going on we in proverbs 26 proverbs chapter 26 starting at verse 17 father god in the name of jesus god we thank you for being god and for allowing us to know you god help us to focus on you god to truly hear from you to be instructed by you god to be guided by you and to be led by your spirit in Jesus name give us ears to hear and our eyes and mind to understand in Jesus name we pray amen Proverbs chapter 26 verse 17 we going down in the home stretch probably about three more weeks we should be done it says he that passeth by and meddle it with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears he that passeth by and meddleth not with strife belonging to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. So this is a pretty simple one, but this is one you have to think about a little bit. It's the idea of if you're going along and you're in your way and you see argumentation or fighting going on and you get in it, it's like that's just like grabbing a wild dog by the ears. It might attack you. But the question in it is, is that ever necessary? Is it ever necessary to take that risk? He's telling you with the possible consequences. It's just like grabbing a wild dog by the, the ears. And in that region, one note, like, little pugs and stuff. <laughs> Most of the dogs they seen was the mountainous dog, hyenas and things like that. So it's like grabbing a hyena by the ears. That's how it is to get mixed up into somebody else's strife or somebody else's beef. And that's a deep question. Like, as a man, if you riding along and you seeing a big old gigantic dude beating up on a woman, do you get mixed up in their beef? Chances are it could turn bad for you. But do you take that risk is the thing here. And a lot of people read this and think it's like saying that you don't get involved in other people's business. He's just giving you a picture of what it's going to be like if you get in other folks' business. <laughs> be ready for it verse 18 this is a one that troubles a lot of folks so as a madman who casted fire brands arrows and death so just like a wild man a crazy man who's throwing fire brands sparks of fire like could be embers of coal arrows shooting arrows and just slinging death all around so this is the picture that he's giving a wild man just throwing deadly things all around verse 19 so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, am I not in sport? So like a crazy man who's throwing all these deadly things around, that's what it is to a man who deceiveth or, or tricked his neighbor and said, I was just joking. I was just playing. I ain't mean nothing by it. <laughs> and, and, and the trouble one with this one that a lot of people wrestle with it's like, is he saying you cannot be joking with people? Is he saying that it, 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 you're doing wrong if you do something, then pull back and say, hey, I was just kidding? But he gives this picture, so a lot of people take it. When he said deceive it, that means do something that's going to hurt them. But it don't necessarily mean that. It could be that. It could be just a, a wild prankster who set people up for failure. Then when it all falls down, like, I ain't mean nothing about it. You, you, you can't, you, you ain't know, you ain't realize I was just playing. But the way that it's set out there, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. So it's one we have to wrestle with. What to the, to what degree can we joke and can we kid and not be jeopardizing or putting people in harm or putting people in hurt? Verse 20 said, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceases. So just like if you get rid of the wood and everything separated from the fire, you can kill the fire. You can you can smother it. If you get rid of the terror bearer, that's the one who just run around jumping, bouncing from place to place, telling everybody business. You get rid of him, you get rid of the fight. As coal to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And here he got the reverse. So just like you have to throw coals on top of burning coals to keep them going, you have to throw wood in the fire to keep it going. You throw a contentious man in the middle of strife, you're going to keep it going. So if you want, you want the beat to keep going, 
Let the contentious man, the one who loves to fight, the one who get excited about conflict, keep him in the midst and you're going to keep the fight going. 22, the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. So it's that person who bounced from place to place telling secrets, the gossiper would say. He's like, their words are like wounds, they're like stabbing, like hurts and marks. And it goes down to the innermost parts of the being or the belly. So it's just the idea that a person bouncing from place to place, telling your business, revealing your secrets, has the ability to hurt. It's not a, a passive, harmless thing. 23, the burning lips and a wicked heart are like a pot shirt covered with silver dross. Now, this is a, a funny one. That pot shirt with silver dross is if you take a broken piece of pottery, and you get the dross, the, the stuff they scrape off the silver. Once it cools, it, it has a, a shine to it. So what a lot of people used to do is they take that, them scrapings, and they put it over worthless stuff to give it a shine. And they take it into the marketplace. So it, it, it's fake silver. And you make it seem like you found a piece of silver and it has some value. And that's the picture that he's giving here. So you take a broken piece of pottery, just a regular piece of clay, and you smother it over with this dross from the silver, which itself is worthless, but it gives it a sheen. Saying so that's what it's like when they're burning lips and you have burning lips and a wicked heart. And that burning lips are, are anxious lips, lips that love to speak, lips that are ready to say something. But the deep inside of their heart is wickedness. So there's a flowery thing that can come out. They know how to say the right things and there's passion to what they're saying, but deep inside their heart is wickedness. What it's saying, it can give the appearance of something good and it can give the appearance of something that, that you need to pay attention to. But deep inside is worthless because of the wickedness in their heart. That's somewhat like what we were talking about last week. When you got your Hitlers and, and the great orators who can, who can say it with passion and, and with drive, but what's inside of them is wickedness. And it seemed like, oh yeah, we need to do that. We need to listen to him. But nah, it's foolishness, it's wickedness. There's no real value in what he's saying. Verse 24, going down that same vein. He that hateth, dissembleth with his lips, and layeth up deceit within him. So the one that hates, he dissembleth with his lips. That word dissembleth means he hides, uh, he conceals. So there's a person who hates, has hatred in his heart, but he he he, dis, he conceals it with the way that he speaks. So he don't mean you no good and he really can't stand you but he speak to you in a way that you don't recognize. And what's really going on in his heart is the deceit, the trickery. He has a hatred for you but he allow himself to, to relate to you in a way that he don't show you how bad he really don't like you. So it's a person that hate and they dissemble it with their lips but deep down in their heart is deceit. And they just plotting and looking for a way to get over on you, looking for a way to get you because they really don't like you. 25, talking about this same man. When he speaketh fair, believeth him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. When he speaketh good or when he speaketh beautiful words to you. So this person that hate, they hide it with their lips and they come to you saying beautiful things. Like when that person speaks to you, don't believe it. Why? Because there's seven abominations in his heart. And that seven abominations could be that he's full of abomination. He, he's totally, his heart, there is nothing but wickedness in his heart towards you. He loathes you to the full degree, but he's saying beautiful things about you. That's a deadly person. So when he starts saying beautiful things, don't believe him. 26, still talking about this same man whose hatred is covered by a deceit. His wickedness shall be shewed before the whole congregation. So his hatred is covered by deceit. There's trickery that won't let all of the hatred that's inside of him come out. But it's going to be a time where his wickedness, all the evil that's inside of him, going to be manifested to everybody. It's going to be put on display before all. So he's saying beautiful things. He's hiding his, his hatred with his words. And he won't allow, allow it to be revealed. But if you... Refuse If you don't be pulled in by his beautiful words, all of his wickedness is going to be put on display. Everybody's going to see it. 27. 
Whoever diggeth the pit shall fall therein. And he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. So if you dig a pit, and it's the idea of setting a trap for somebody else. So if you dig a pit, you're going to fall in that pit. If you roll a stone, it's still the same idea of setting a trap for somebody else. Like pushing a stone up the hill, putting it in a position to fall on somebody. Like the stone going to roll back on you. And it's the idea of you go out your way to set somebody up and to do harm to somebody. That same harm going to come back on you. And it has nothing to do with karma. 28. A lion tongue hated those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth work it ruin. So people who lie and deceive, they say they hate those who are hurt by their lying. That's a heavy thing right there. So if you run around and tear lines and you're deceiving people and you're putting people in bad positions just because of your lying tongue, you can't tell the truth. Say so that's a manifestation that you hate those who are afflicted by. Those who are hurt by your lies, you hate them. And a flattering mouth works ruin. When you just flatter and you speak in flowery things, there's no true meaning or true depth to what you're saying. Say so you, you bring in ruin. You're hurting people by what you're saying. And this is one that's very deep, especially like fathers and, and parents to think about. If you always lying to your children, if this proverb be true, he's saying you hate them. And that's a deep one to think about. Chapter 27, verse 1. Said, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So don't be confident. Don't be bragging about what's going to be about tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen today. Today is going to produce something that you can't comprehend. So how are you going to be bragging about tomorrow? That's one of those sobering things. So let another man praise thee and not thy own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. So don't be praising yourself. Don't be bragging on yourself. Don't be boasting about yourself. Let outsiders do that. So you work and do your work in a way where other people can recognize how great you are and let them brag on you. Don't do it with your own mouth. Verse 3, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. And this is the idea of something that puts pressure on you. So the sand, that has a, a good little weight to it. A stone, that's pretty heavy itself. But the hatred of a fool or the wrath of a fool is heavier than both of them put together. And it's the idea you don't want to be under the wrath of a fool. It's something that could crush you. Verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? So wrath, that's cruel something. That's something that can hurt. Anger is something that's just overwhelming. But who is able to stand or who can withstand envy? And that envy could be, it's just an evil passion provoked by the conditions of another. Sometimes it's translated as jealousy. Like all of these things go around the same. Like who can withstand those things? When that is coming upon you, who can resist it? When that type of hatred or that type of evil is being put towards you. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now that's a deep one. Open rebuke. That's to tell somebody they wrong right out in their face. Plain before all. It's better than to have love for somebody that they don't know of. So If you can love them and it's not displayed. It's better for you just to rebuke them and put them on blast openly. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That wounds of a friend is when a friend hurts you, when a friend scar you, and it can be connected to the verse before. It's something that you can trust on when you got a friend that's willing to rebuke you, to hurt you, to put you in your place. It's better to have that than to have an enemy who's always just showing you Nice and compassionate things. Who just loving on you. Kissing you. Verse 7. The full soul loatheth an honeycomb. But to the hangry, angry soul. To the hungry soul. Every bitter thing is sweet. It's a good principle. So the full soul loatheth. So the person that's full. The person that's fully satisfied. He hates even the honeycomb. Even the sweet stuff. 
If you get somebody and you fill them all the way up, you got them stuff. Even when you bring them something that they enjoy, something that is delightful, they don't want it. They're good. But somebody who is hungry, somebody who has been starved, every bit of thing is sweet. And we keep this same thing. It's a part of our common culture. We say it all the time. When you eat something that don't seem like it was that great, but to you it tastes real good. What would you say? Man, I'm up in real hungry. <laughs> and that's the idea that he have here. When you've been depraved of something, when when there's a lack inside of you, it has the ability to amp up your appetite. And you're more willing to enjoy things that you would not have in the get-go. And it's this idea of be satisfied, be complete, and fill your life up before something come around to make it complete. When I read this, I think about there was a time we went on a little uh basketball like tournament thing in Tennessee. And we in the gym all weekend. And it was a small little tournament. So there wasn't too many people there. The only people there was the teams that were playing and the folks that came with them. So you got some little raging hormonal teenage boys locked away in a far city for a whole weekend. And the only people we seeing are each other and the other players on the other team and their coaches. And it was this one team that had a lady with them. And man, <laughs> I can picture it just like it was yesterday. We're in the gym going back and forth debating about whether or not this lady looked good. <laughs> we debated. And the thing that makes it a debate, she's the only woman around. <laughs> and the fact that we ain't seen no other women. <laughs> I'm both like, man, uh, uh, girl, she bad. I'm like, nah, bro, no, man. And we're going back. Well, nah, you look, no, see, when she first got all the buffs. <laughs> and there's this thing going on. It's just that there was a rage inside of us, hormonal teens. We wanted to see some women. And, and it wasn't none. And it amplified her beauty. Because it wasn't none around but a whole bunch of dudes. And there's the danger of this principle that a full soul loathes even the honeycomb. But if you get yourself in a place where, where you're desperate, you get yourself in a place where you've been starved, where you've been, <clears throat> where there is no true satisfaction in you, you put yourself in a dangerous position where those things that was not once sweet to you become delightful. And that's the idea we must maintain and stay satisfied. And how can we do that? Jesus makes the statement, those who hunger and, I mean, those who believe in me shall never thirst again. That we won't be hungry as we get filled with the living water. And the question becomes, do we believe that to be true? As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. This is going all connected with the idea of contentment. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. And it's the idea when you see a bird bouncing from place to place, there's no rest for the bird outside of the nest. He's on the move. He's going from one thing to the next one. You see him a little bit, he sit, then he off and he running again. And you see him a little bit, he sit, sit on a pole, sit on a tree. And the only place that he truly gains rest is in his nest. And it's like, this is how it is when a man wanders from his place. There's a place of security. There's a home in a man. And when he can't sit content in that place, there's restlessness that's come upon him. And there's this place of discontent where there is no place to rest, there is no refuge, there is no relaxation in the soul of a man once he leaves his place. And for us, that true place is in resting and abiding in God. Once you navigate or once you exit that, there is no contentment in you. There is no place where you can settle. Verse 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so dope the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. So, Ointment and perfume. That ointment is, is just oils. And it's the idea of, of oils and the scent from the oils have the ability to, to produce joy in your heart. It can delight you. There's certain chemicals, certain smells, certain things that God put upon this planet that react in our bodies certain ways that can produce delight within us. And he's saying that same thing can take place when you have a real friend 
that can pour out his whole soul to you and give you counsel. There's sweetness in that. When y'all can connect on that, on that soul level, on that deep, true life level, and he can advise you in that place. Like that has the ability to rejoice the heart. That's that word hearty there is the same word that's translated soul. It's, it's a pouring out of your whole being and giving counsel. When you connect with a person on that place and you got a real friend like that, it's like there's a rejoicing that can take place. Just like lighting the beautiful incense. Verse 10, thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Now this is a deep one that goes against the grain a little bit. And we all know the saying of blood is thicker than water. And it's the idea that you connect more with your family than you do with friends and peers. And what he's saying here is that to have a friend, if you got a, a, a your friend, even your father's friend, a true person that, that you can bond with, it's better to have them if they're close to you when hard times come than have to escape to a far country or go to another place to be with your family. So a friend near is better than a brother far away. So it's better to cultivate these true friendships that are close than it is to forsake them friendships to be with your family that is distant. Because when time of calamity, he's saying it's better to have a friend near than a brother far away. The person that is near to you can be there for you to help you in that time of calamity. When you got a distant brother, distant family, they can't be there for you on that same level. And like I said, that's one that goes against the grain and it goes against our modern American mindset that there's only a certain closeness that we do with friends. But when family come around, these are real people. And what he's saying, don't forsake them people, your own friend, even your father's friend. Keep them relationships, cultivate them relationships, because when things go bad and they're near, that's better than like my brother Will in Oklahoma. Verse 11 said, my son. Be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. It's the idea of he want to see his son and his son living in a certain way. And that way is wisdom. And that produced his joy. And that when people come to me, questioning me, and it's this idea of there's a contention that happened until the father because of his son. And like if you live in wisdom, when they come questioning me, when people come against me, I can answer them. I know how to properly respond to them because of the way that you live. And it's this idea of you making your father's life easier by you being wise and producing that joy and that gladness in his heart. Verse 12, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We see this one often repeated one. It's one we need to pay attention to. A prudent man, that's the, the, the cunning man, the one that can, can understand. Say he foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. So he can recognize the evil before it get there. And he conceals himself. He puts himself in a position that he's protected from the evil. So he know the evil, he recognizes the calamity is coming, and he conceals himself. But the simple, the naive, they come, they, they rush right in and are punished. So they receive retribution because they go into the evil while the prudent man can recognize the coming of the evil and conceal himself. And as I just thought about this, even talking about this, the son and the children. This idea of you can't protect your children from everything. Here he's saying the prudent man protects himself. And we get the picture of the prudent man that he's willing to shield himself from things that he know that can hurt him. So if a prudent man shields himself from things that he know that can hurt him, why not shield your children from those very things? Now people made bad things. You got them sheltered children. Ain't no wrong with that. And I guarantee you the people who say that don't be giving their they, they children coat and hair and be like, I don't want you to be sheltered. If you go to college, you're going to get out there and be an addict. So I'm going to give you a little bit right here at home. <laughs> Verse 13, take his garment that is surety for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. It's the same idea of the thing that we spoke of before. So the one 
that's surety for a stranger, the one that's willing to put himself in obligations for somebody else's debt, saying, take his garment. This is the untrustworthy man. So you need to make yourself sure when you're dealing with this man. Snatch his garment from Take a pledge for him. So you get yours up front when you're dealing with a man that's willing or quickly to put himself in debt. This is somebody you cannot trust, somebody you can't rely on. Verse 14. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. <laughs> it's one I laugh when I... <laughs> Two, it, 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 I just try to get a picture of many different ways to look at this. The one that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning. And the way that it is, is wrote in the Hebrew is somewhat vague. Like, hold up, what is he saying? Is he talking about somebody who jump up, throwing all this praise on their friend early in the morning with a loud voice, and they really don't mean it? That ain't what he's saying. He just said, he that blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. So the action of this person jumping up early in the morning, four day in the morning, as the old folks say, blessing his friend, he put out his praises on his friend, like it's going to be a curse. And, and the more I think about it and meditate it, I get the picture of you in a state of relaxation. And I bust in and shouting all these type praises to you. If you at rest, if you at peace, you, you don't want to hear that right now. And it's the idea of knowing or being conscious of those around you and knowing when and how to praise, when and how to adore, when and how to interact with people in this loud in this crazy manner that you don't disrupt, that you don't disturb, and you don't become off-putting by the way that you do it. And you all seen them folks. Like, it's cool. We don't take all that. I appreciate what you're doing for me, but I'm straight. Thank you. And that's what he's saying. The outcome of this guy, rising early in the morning, shouting and praising his friends, they're going to be counted a curse to him. Verse 15, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. That's deep. So just like a drop that won't stop on a rainy day, that's what a contentious woman is. And when I think about this, just think of you getting caught in the rain, and you rush in the house, get out the rain, and you get in the house, and you relax, and right on top of your sofa, a drip stock. <laughs> you got a little leak. <laughs> and you can rest, get out of the rain, you can dry yourself off, got relaxed, just to come in the house and have this little drip that you cannot stop coming on you. Like that's what it is when you rush in the house for peace and relaxation and you got a contentious one. Something that can drive you crazy. Verse 16. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. So talking about this contentious woman, whoever hide her. So if you got this contentious woman and you trying to cover up the fact that she a contentious woman. Like you might as well hide the wind and try to make people not know that the wind is blowing. And even to a greater degree, you might as well. Hide the ointment on your right hand. It's like you got perfume or something that smells real loud on your right hand and you're trying to keep people from smelling it. Wherever you go, it's going to come out. They're going to smell it. You can't hide it. That's what he's saying. You're trying to hide this contentious woman. You can't hide her. It's going to betray. It's, it's going to put forth itself. It's going to overwhelm. It's going to be put on display. What you got and what you're dealing with, just like if you got perfume all over your hand, is going to be revealed. Verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. This is a popular proverb. So just like iron sharpeneth iron. So you can use iron to make iron more sharp. Striking them against one another, they become more sharp. 
and better fit for the purpose that he's talking about. You got your axe, you got your swords or your knives. You make them better fit for their use by bumping them up against one another. And what he's saying here is so a man sharpened the countenance of his friend. So it's the idea of when friends meet, you can increase the face, the countenance, that the presence of your friend gets better or increases when you enter in. So when y'all interact, there's a joy that's brought forth and there's a, there's a perfection or, or a betterment, for lack of a better word, that comes into the life of your friend just by your interaction. So friends make one another better. Friends bring joy. Friends bring, make the, the, the continents uplift just like iron makes iron better for its use. Verse 18, whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit, the fruit thereof. So he that waited on his master shall be honored. So the person that keeps the fig tree, that's the one that guarded, the one that take care of it, the one that cultivates it, that's the one that get to eat the fruit off of. So if you take care of the fig tree, when it start to grow and when it start to bloom, you're going to get the figs. And he's saying here, if you take care of your master, if you serve your master, if you do what your master wants you to do, when master benefits, you're going to be honored. And that honored here is not just he going to say, hey, I got a good servant. It's going to be honored somewhat like Joseph was honored. He was the man. And as his master increased, so he increased. When the kingdom got rich, Joseph got rich. Because there was this pouring forth that happened. And what this let us know, this ain't talking about what we met here some 400 years ago on this planet. Because when master got increased, wasn't no honoring going down. Wasn't nobody paying nobody anything. Verse 19. As in water, face answer it to face, so the heart of man to man. It's one of those deep spooky ones that everybody wrestles with a little bit. So just like in water, if you go out to the water or the lake, once you peer into it, you see your face. There's a response. Face responds to face. So as you put your face down there, your face is what comes back to you. And that's what he's saying. So in man, once you examine man, and if you look into the heart of man, the man is what comes out of him. So you can truly know the man by looking into the heart of man. Or the heart of man is the thing that allows man to see man. So you truly see somebody when you peer into their heart. Uh, when their heart is revealed, that's when you see. Just like when you look into the water, it allows you to see yourself. When you look into a man, it allows you to see what a man or who a man really is. And as this mutual exchange that flows from the heart of man, that's the true place of revelation for a man. Hell and destruction are never full. So the grave, destruction... They never reach a point where they're satisfied, where it's the end, no more. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Just like hell and destruction and never say, I'm tired. The eyes of a man will never get to a point where they say, I don't want to see no more. And the picture that's thrown here is if you allow yourself to be led by the lust of your eyes, you will always be discontent. You can get a new car and it won't be long where it don't look new to you no more but the other one does. You get a new house and it won't be long where it don't look that great to you but another one does. And it's the idea if you allow yourself to be led by the lust of your eyes and if that's the thing that, that dictates what you pursue in life, you'll never get to a place of contentment. Because the eye is never satisfied with seeing. And there's always a constant desire for more. 21. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace, furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. As a finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. So if you want to purify the gold, you use it in the finding pot. I mean, for silver, you put it in the finding pot. The furnace for gold. And a man to his praise or a man to his boasting, a man to his shouting or, or to his reputation. That's what the, the finding is. It's that parallel. Just like you use one 
to bolster the other. The reputation of a man cannot be disconnected from a man. So the reputation of a man is made what it is by the man that it is. So as long as you put the reputation and you connect the man with his name, with his boasting, that's what, just like that is what the firing pot does to the silver. It brings it out. It, it pulls it forward. It, 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 it refines it. Once you bring the reputation of a man, that's what he does to his name, to his boasting. If you put the two together, who he really is comes out. And there's a, a, a unveiling. We all have seen some folks like that. And you heard about him, heard how great they was and heard who they truly are. Then you truly meet the man. And you truly see the heart of the man. And you be like, hold up. And, and, that's, and then things start to come clear. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the work. And you meet a dude and you hear about him. Or even you have a, a reputation of the man. Then you get to meet him personally. I'm like, dude, ain't, ain't, ain't nothing like you seen. And then you get to show he becomes the testing for his, his, his reputation or his name. He showed that one, that, that, that gold right there ain't, ain't, ain't real. Dude seems like he the man, but when you really see him, he, he reveals that now nah, all that name, that reputation is just pure hype. He ain't what they say he is. And then sometime when you meet a man and you, and you know his name before you meet him and you get the hype and you meet him and his, his reputation or his character shows that what they saying, that that's the truth. That's real right there. He is what they say he is. And that's all he's talking about there. A man refines his reputation. He reveals it. He shows it whether or not it's real or not. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortal among wheat with the pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Now this is a deep one too. So, if you take a fool, and that in mortar is, I don't know if you've seen them before, like some people use it nowadays, people still use them, they want to be deep from the whole foods, folks. When you got the little clay pot, it's a stone pot with the little rod thing in it, and you put your seeds in there to crush the hoods off the seeds, to grind it down, that's what he's talking about, that mortar with a pistol. So, like, if you put a fool in there, and you get one that can grind him and crush him, you won't be able to separate him from his foolishness. So you can take the whole off the smallest little seed if you can get it in there and grind it up. And you can separate the two. And you can get powder, a fennel powder, and you can separate fennel whole. But if you get a fool and you crush him in there, you won't be able to separate him from his foolishness. And that's a deep thing. And it's one that, I'm going to say a, a somewhat controversial statement. It's just of me and off up in here. And it's something we can wrestle with. And a lot of these proverbs, just wrestling through them, with the, the, the age, the spirit of the age that's going on now, and then we got this push towards criminal reform or prison reform or whatever word they want to use for it. If proverbs like this be true, I think we really do need criminal reform. Because the picture that he's getting is there's hurt and there's affliction and there's crushing that you can do with a fool that will not stop him from being a fool and but we have these correctional facilities who whole mold or idea was built on the idea that there are certain things or certain molds you can do with fools that can separate them from their foolishness and him saying you can take a fool and beat him if it was possible if you can get him in a mortar with the pestle you won't be able to take the foolishness off of him So us locking a man up, us doing what we're doing, if we got the idea that it's going to make him something other than a fool, we got the wrong idea. Because foolishness bound in the heart of a person is something that external things does not separate. It takes something to get down in that heart and transform that heart to do that. Verse 23. 
Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. So be diligent. So work hard, pay attention to be alert, be aware to know the state of your flocks. And that's to know the, the face of your flocks is another way it can be translated. So know what's going on with your flocks. Know how they are. Know what the condition they're in. Like pay attention to those things. And it's the idea of when you have something that's in your responsibility, pay attention to it. And most people translate this, which I think is accurate, and, and they have the idea of, of, of a money connotation. That these are your, these are your securities. These are the things that you use to, to produce wealth. He's saying pay attention to it. Know how they're doing. Know what's going on with your money, with your stuff. Pay attention. Be diligent to pay attention to it. Be conscious of it. Be aware of how it's going, where it's going, what you're spending it on, what state is it in. You should know. I know early in, in, in my youth and coming to God, this is something that he really had to teach me because I wasn't aware. I wasn't know. And it, it's an amazing thing if you look into it. Maybe Black will, will talk about it. He's he the statistics guy and the money guy. One of the biggest income generators for banks is fees. And one of their best fees is insufficient funds. They make a lot of money off that. And that's just an amazing thing. That I can create wealth just by you let me hold your money. But every time you're not aware of how much you got and go over, you have to pay me. The fact that that can be a business, a legitimate business that can sustain some, some places. A lot of, some make, make good money off that. <laughs> that's, that's a deep thing. And what he's talking about here is, is warning against that. Know what's going on. Be aware of the state of your flocks. Pay attention to what, to, to the stuff that you're responsible for. Know what's happening with it. <laughs> yeah, they know. <laughs> Ready to get you. Come on, you spend 75 cents over. That's going to cost you $45. Man, that's that deep. That taxing. Now. I just thought about that. Boy, 75 cents can cost me $45. $38 for the nice bank. <laughs> Verse 24, going down the same vein, said, For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. And it's the idea of these things are fading, so pay attention to them. Keep watch over them. Keep stock of them. Because they ain't just going to be there. You just can't leave it there and think it's going to endure for always. Because even the crown, it don't endure throughout every generation. This is something that's going to fade. This is something that's going to pass. It's something that's going to come to an end. So you need to be on guard. You need to be watching. You need to be aware of it. In verse 25, down the same thing. said, the hay appeared, and the tender grass sheweth itself. And the herbs of the mountains are gathered. And so the hay, it shows up. That's the thing that you use to feed your flocks. The tender grass. That's, that's the soft, the thing that cultivates after the, the flocks eat up the hay and the hard, the rough, the stubble. There's a tender grass that comes forth. And this is something that you can use in season. It's something that you can use and eat. And what he's saying, there's cycles that go on. And all of these things come around, but you have to be aware. You have to be in a position to take advantage of all these things and know which ones to utilize, when to utilize them, and in what season or what things are going on. So the herbs of the mountains, they are gathered. So there's a time where you got the thing that you you pour into your flocks. And there's a time where through your pouring into your flocks, there's benefit that comes from you. That, that, that naturally comes from you feeding the flocks. They eat away all the hay, all the stubble. They fertilize the grass, the tender grass comes up. And there's a time where the herbs, it's a time for you to get out there and you have to work and pull in the herbs off the mountains. So he's saying there's times and there's season and there's rotation that happen with these things. But if you're not aware, if you're not paying attention, the benefit that there is for you in these various seasons, in these changes, 
in these movements, in your flocks, being in these fields, you won't recognize them and you it won't come to you. In verse 26, he's going down the same thing. The lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. So the lambs are for your clothing. There's a benefit and there's a purpose to them. You have to watch them. You have to keep over for keep over to them and know what they're for. And if you're watching, if you're paying attention, if you're taking advantage of all these things, they're going to flourish. And as they flourish, you're going to flourish. You're going to have clothing. The price of the field, that basically the value of your land will increase. Because the goats out there doing their thing, that brings value to your land. And that makes it more formal, more fertilizer. And ultimately, they produce for you something that feeds your family and all those that are connected to your household. So you're going to have food, your household going to have food, even your maids, the service, the ones who work for you, they're going to have food. But it all begins with you tending to your flocks, with you being diligent to know what's going on with them. And it's the same principle for us when it comes to the things that we are responsible for. We need to pay attention to them. We need to know what's going on with them. We need to know the moods and the seasons, and we need to understand when they flourish, when they grow, how they grow, what's the purpose and the uses for them. And that could include money. There's a purpose and there's a use for it that we need to know it. And then we need to have that and be able to utilize it to its fullness and not just let it sit there and grow and go crazy. And just like I said, all these big businesses that put and make good money just off the fact that they know we don't pay attention. That's how all them companies can give you free subscriptions. I know you're going to forget. I can get a million people to sign up and promise to pay $7 at the end of 14 days. A good but vast majority of them going to let that time lax and they ain't going to realize it. And they're just going to ride. And I'm going to make a lot of $7. Because people ain't going to pay attention. We got to not be a part of those people. Chapter 28. Said the wicked flee when no man pursue it, but the righteous are bold as lions. That's a deep one now. One I had to just sit there and I need to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> the wicked flee when no man pursue it. And it's this idea of, of there's a scatteredness to the life of the wicked. There's no rest. There's no contentment. They always have to be aware. They always have to be on guard. Even when things are not in danger, there's a paranoia connected with wickedness. And he said, but the righteous are bold as lions. When the righteous are doing what they're supposed to do, when they're walking down the way, there's a boldness in them that they can go forward in full confidence. Just like the lion walking through the jungle. He's not afraid that anybody's going to beat him. That's deep. So we need to have that boldness, that full confidence to walk out in life. Chapter, I mean, verse two said, for the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. This is by the transgression of a land. So when this land, a city, I think is what he have in mind here, is full of wickedness. He's saying many are the leaders thereof. There's always a ruler when wickedness abounds. There's a lot of people to step up, a lot of people to do their thing when wickedness is the, the, the idea or the, the dominant plague of the land said but by a man of understanding and knowledge shall the state thereof be prolonged but a man that has understanding that knowledge that's no life and, and, and has a comprehension of it he can increase the state of it. he can allow us the state to continue and if we put this in the ancient context that was written in and just think about just we as we're going to do going through kings and look at the list of the kings of Israel versus the list of the kings of Judah. There's more prolonged kingdoms in Judah than there were in Israel. And there's more kings in Israel than there was in Judah. Well, I think eventually they end up backing out because Judah lasted longer. 
And it's the idea there was always turmoil, there was always coming over. And what you have more so in the kings of Israel is this this person reigned and he reigned for eight months, then his sergeant killed him. And he reigned and he reigned for eight years or for five years. And a native, somebody came and killed him. Then he reigned and his son reigned a little bit. Then his mama killed him. And there's always this turnover that goes on. When a land is in iniquity, many are the princes thereof. So there's this continuous turnover. But when you got a man of wisdom, a man of understanding, the state thereof is prolonged. So a person with understanding, a person that knows what's going on, he has the ability to to stretch it out. He has the ability to maintain, to make it work the way it's supposed to work. It's the idea of, and you just think about it, think, think that was Jay, talking about a um, dude who worked at a restaurant. And just when you see this certain manager there, the whole way it runs, runs a whole lot different. Everything flows, everything in and out, and it's the way it's supposed to be. And what happens when it worked like that? People like being there. People like spending their money there. But when you got the fools in there and it's crazy and all type of th- crazy things going on and you walking in the back door and dude back there smoking some weed <laughs> and all type of junk going on, it decreases your ability to want to go to them places. And what you end up having is that manager get fired. Then that manager get fired. Then that one get fired. And eventually the whole place shut down. Because iniquity, when that abounds, many are the princes thereof. It's always an overturn. It's always, it it just continues popping up. Verse 3. A poor man that oppresses the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaveth no food. So you got poor people that's oppressing or take advantage of other poor people. So you getting poor people, you poor, and you robbing other poor people. He said it's like a sweeping rain. That sweeping rain is, 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 is the side of rain that comes in and it pounds and pour the point where it even breaks and, and tear up the flock. I mean the, the, the crops. That's what it's like when the poor oppresses the poor. The thing that posts the benefit or help the crops is the thing that destroyed. Like rain is a good thing. You want the rain when you're growing your crops. But when Laura came through, I guarantee you them farmers down there would not happen. Because it destroyed the whole thing. He's saying that's why it is when the poor oppresses the poor. This is the idea of something I was talking wrestling, messing with my boys about. And it's an amazing thing that I had to take note of one day. Just being a little project kid and being a project and going back and just hanging one day and just to hear the comment that thank you how the authority man rolled up like man I just seen who y'all were I know it been some folks around here breaking in houses and I just thought about that for a second hold up I spent 20 some years in the project and the only people I knew in the projects, that broken houses was junkies. People were addicted to crack. But now we're in a place where these young boys nowadays, it's cool to go kicking in doors. And you in the midst of the poorest of the poor in our society, kicking in their door. You still in the stereo of the man who had to wait all year long for the income tax check to come just so he can get that stereo. And you kicking his dough in and taking his stuff. And that's the, the principle of the proverb is you supposed to be, the poor should flock together and aid one another. But when the poor oppresses the poor, that's just like the rain that should cultivate life in the midst of the crop, but it destroys them instead. This is something that should not be. And the broke folk robbing other broke folk, that shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of being Robin Hood, they robbing the hood. <laughs> Verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Now, this is, this is deep right here. They that forsake the law. So the people who, who go away from the law or the Torah or the teachings. 
really good, the guidance. They praise the wicked. So by deviating from God's standards, you heaping praise upon the wicked. You, you, you giving props to them. You hallelujah the wicked. That's, that's just a deep one to think about. It's the folks who tell you they, they, they love God and they honor God and we put God first. God is the head of my life, but you disobeying him. It's like when you do that, when you depart from the law, you praise the wicked. And it's the idea of where our life leads to. That's where our worship is connected to. And you can't separate the two. But when you keep the law, you contend with them. And there's a fighting that's connected. When you maintain in the law, there's some contention. There's a fighting between you and the wicked. Because you're going down the way that they said should be going down. You're knocking against things that they said should be standing up. And there's this contrast that go on. But when you get off, you're praising them. You're going with their way and you're saying what they're saying is right is right. And it's this idea that just by the life that we live, we either praise or we put down. And there's a conflict just in us walking in a certain way. Verse 5, evil man understand not judgment. But they that seek the Lord understand all things. That's deep. Evil man, wicked man, they don't know or don't understand judgment. And that's the right declaration of things, the way things are supposed to be. What we would use that word, that would be justice. When you respond the right in the right way, putting things the way they're supposed to be, say evil men don't understand that. But they that seek the Lord understands all things. So when justice and righteousness need to be done in a planet or in a city and you're depending upon wicked people to do it, there's going to be some disconnect. There's going to be some disharmony. There's going to be some places where injustice still remain because evil men don't understand judgment. They don't know what is the right declaration. They can't put things right because they don't know what is right. And this is something we need to be aware of as the people of God. And we cannot put our hope in wicked people to making our cities and our neighborhoods right. We can't depend on them to do it. They don't understand it. They can't declare what is and what should be. There's going to always be some conflict. Because they don't get it. But those who seek God, us who pursue God, those who live their life chasing after Yahweh, they understand all. And it puts us in a position where the Yahweh seekers have the right view of life and they can put everything in its proper perspective. They can see it for what it truly is and put it how it's supposed to be. Why it is much more of an evil thing for us to condescend and allow wickedness to take the rule or to take the lead in a push towards righteousness. Because they don't get it. They can't get it. It's always going to be wrong. It's always going to be missing. It's always going to be distorted. But we, the people of God, understands all things. And it should give us a mindset or a mode of confidence, too. Because there are some doctors and, and, and people who got three and four PhDs who pontificate. And they studied and they didn't research and they didn't got the sociology and, and philosophy. And they studied world religions and everything. And they get a historians and studied all the moves and they've been in, and they're very educated. And what it's saying is, as long as Edmund seek God, he know better than that dude. So the dude who's pontificating on CNN about the state of the world and what needs to be done. Edmund seeking God know better than that dude. And he can see things in a better perspective than that dude. Because he understands there's a comprehension that he has 
that goes around all things, but even right judgment, they don't even get it. And which was why is when God put us in a position where we can speak and he put us in a position where we can assert some type of influence, we shouldn't be afraid to do so. We shouldn't back down to the place where we think, well, I ain't, I'm saying I don't got the education. I don't got the experience. I don't, you don't need none of that. You got the God of the universe living inside of you, feeding you lines. You got the one who has seen all of history and all of the future telling you what's going to be. Telling you the way it's supposed to be. You got the one who tries and judge the heart of all men living inside of you and telling you the state of men. So you know better. Verse 6. So whoso, I mean, better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. So the poor man that, that maintains his integrity is better than a perverse or a wicked man, though he be rich. Whoever keeps the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men Shame of his father. That's a deep one. If you keep the law, you're a wise son. And he gives us a, a, a throwback in the finishing of the key to understand how it is that we be wise. He told us in the get-go, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So long as we fear in God, that's the essence of what it means to be wise. And here he's telling us, us keeping the law. So the guidance and the plan that God put forth down by to lead us in life that we refer to as the law, as long as we keep in those principles, those standards, we are being wise. But the one that is a companion, the one who, who makes friends out of, out of riotous men, he brings shame to his father. He disgraces his father. He that by usury and unjust gain increases his substance. He shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. So if you, them folks we just got done talking about, so if you come up by usury, that's heavy interest and unjust gain that's taking advantage of people or getting money unrighteously. If that's how you come up, you are increasing your substance for somebody that's going to have pity on the poor. And it's this idea that there's going to come a time where that stuff going to be taken away from you and give it to somebody who's going to do it the right way. If that's how you come up through usury and unjust gain. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So if you stop hearing the law, say even his prayer shall be an abomination. God going to loathe you praying. You asking for things. And this is what, what, what a lot of people don't hold out there. And I think we as a church have to be a better, do a better job of doing this. Because there's this thing and there's this common argument against Christianity that we know God ain't real and the Bible ain't true because when I pray, nothing happens. God don't answer prayer. So if the Bible was true, God would answer prayer. So since he don't answer my prayer, that means the Bible ain't true. There is no God. And what this is telling us, when you ain't listening to God, when you're not obeying his word, when you pray, it make him want to throw up. So no, he's not answering your prayer. He don't even like when you pray. And we got these people who, who claim they love the Lord, but they don't follow none of the things that the Bible say. The only thing they want to do that the Bible say is pray and get stuff. And they pray and stuff don't happen and they think that means the Bible ain't true. That means the Bible is true because he told you. He don't even like when you lift up your mouth if you're not obeying him. And it's this audacity that we don't put upon people because all we tell folks, the wicked folks, is just pray, just pray, just pray, just pray. And they got the idea in their mind that I can do whatever I want to when it comes to God telling me to do stuff. I don't got to listen to him ever. But he better listen to me. He asked me to do something. I don't have to do it. But he better do what I asked him to do. And that's foolishness. We won't even do that with our own children. Let alone the God of the universe. Just get to boss him around. That's foolish. Verse 10. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in the evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. This is a sobering one for me. When there's a righteous person, 
and you lead them astray in an evil way. So a righteous person now becomes evil by the things that you're doing, by the influence that you inserted upon their lives. That you're going to fall into your own pit. So there's going to be a trap that's going to come for you because of what you did to them. But the upright, those who maintain their integrity, shall have good things in possession. So those who maintain consistency, in some versions said the blameless, those who are perfect in their integrity, are whole in their integrity, they're going to have good things in possession. But if you lead righteous people astray, there's a pit, there's a trap that's set up for you. It was with this. It said, a rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that have understanding searches him out. When you got a rich man, because of his riches, he's wise in his own eyes. He know life better than everybody else just because he has confidence in his riches. Like, but there's a poor person who search him out. So there's a person, person who can inspect him, who can examine him and put him on blast or reveal his lack of wisdom. That's what a poor person has the ability to do. When this wise man is only wise in his own conceit. And it's one of the, another one of those things that our state in life doesn't display our state as human beings. Just because a man has more money than me don't mean he's better than me. And as the ability for a man to have a lot of money and be a fool. And another man to not have that, to be poor, but be one of the most wise and understanding people that you can encounter and we don't allow social status to 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 reflect on how we view the internal status of one another we'll pause right there you got any questions